Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report for Wednesday the 1st of February. I'm Anthony Day. Nothing much is achieved without leadership. And the ruinous consequences of bad leadership are all around us, from Ukraine to Iran to Haiti to Russia to China, and, well, the list just goes on. And we haven't mentioned the consequences of the shortest-serving Prime Minister of the UK. Success requires firm leadership, but it requires leaders who fully understand the issues they must address. Without this knowledge, they cannot inform and enthuse the teams who work for them. And we are by no means talking only about politicians. Leaders are vital in all organisations. If we are to preserve a habitable environment and successfully meet the challenge of the climate crisis, our organisations need competent, sustainable leadership. I spoke to Clark Murphy, who knows about these things. So today we're talking about sustainable leadership and why it's important that sustainability should be recognised and implemented by management at all levels, particularly senior levels, including the C-suite and the board. As the presenter of the Sustainable Futures Report, I can certainly identify with that. My guest today is Clark Murphy, the former CEO and now leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds Associates. Clark, welcome to the Sustainable Futures Report. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Great. Uh, Sustainability and climate crisis. There are many people out there who deny the whole thing. Very few of them are dogmatic and angry about it, but most people just don't really know or don't want to know because the pressures of living, the cost of living and so on in the immediate term is just too much. Our big problem, surely, is getting the message across to people without scaring them and leading them to just cut off and ignore the situation altogether. How do you get over this? Uh, Are you getting a positive reaction from your clients and prospects? I think positive reaction. uh, I don't know how you say that when when there are a lot of challenges. Recognition? I think there is recognition. And I look at sustainability in the broadest umbrella, which may not just be climate change, but also in terms of what's going on in the oceans or with hunger or gender equality, etc. So in the broadest context, I think climate change is the one that gets people's attention or gets their frustrations up. But I think most of the the corporations in the world increasingly, which we'll get to, I'm sure, the politicians of the world are saying, listen, there are various factors we have to make progress against, or um, A, our companies won't keep the brightest young people, or B, um, companies won't have the institutional investors uh, to provide the capital they need to grow their businesses. So uh, there is recognition, and then there's action. Okay. Now, incidentally, you you talk about the brightest young people. Are you seeing differences in attitude between the different uh, demographics, different age groups? There's no question. And it's no question at all. And interestingly, we did a piece of research called Divides and Dividends, which saw that uh, over 45% of of, uh, senior leaders were very proud of um, their approach to sustainability and then some of the employees at the same companies said, in fact, they hadn't seen as much action. So there's there's a divide between what one believes and what the younger people see. So there's, without question, uh, a difference in attitude between generations. And in, in um, this book we've just written, we talk about at the end, we added a chapter called The Nudgers, uh, which is this next generation that says, I want to work or I will buy products 
where I believe in the company uh, and in the value and the mission of the company. And it's and it's un, it's unquestionable at this point. So young people are enthusiastic. Are they well informed? Is the educational system actually giving them the, the tools that they need? So I think there's two answers to that. I don't know if the educational system is giving them the tools. We'll come back to tools in a second. That certainly creates the awareness, an even broader awareness in the speed with which things are happening, uh, unquestionably. Around tools, I think companies are just coming to grips now with, with tapping the energy and identifying sooner uh, the excitement around the sustainable agenda that the next couple of generations have and harnessing that energy. And I think that's most important. Right. Now, you've just published a book called Sustainable Leadership, Lessons of Vision, Courage and Grit from the CEOs who dared to build a better world. Would you like to tell us about uh, one of these CEOs who dared to build a better world? Uh, sure. I mean, that's there's a, there's a great number of stories. And, and my belief was that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of successfully commercial, sustainable leaders. But we need tens of thousands. And we need them rather quickly. And so the book is, in essence, a how-to guide for young leaders and even, I would say, CEOs of mid-sized companies that aren't sure what the first step is and how do I go forward. And this book is mistakes made, lessons learned, victories achieved through uh, embedding sustainability in operations and cultures. So, so take a guy named Heinrich Heinrichsen, who has now founded... Uh, a startup called H2 Green Steel, which is producing clean steel, one of the dirtiest businesses in the world. Fascinating uh, approach to clean energy using arc furnaces to produce clean steel and, and uh, an amazing backlog of, of hundreds of millions of dollars of orders for car, auto, truck, and, and manufacturing. When he was at Scania Trucks, they produced one of the first biodiesel fueled trucks in the world. And he tells the story in the book of kind of going one by one to the head of design and the head of engineering and the head of manufacturing and the head of distribution um, and the head of marketing uh, to win them over to, to go to this biodiesel truck, which is quite some time ago. Um, and so they eventually roll it off the assembly line and nobody buys the truck. Um, and what he realized is, is <clears throat> which he's doing differently at H2 Green Steel, is you needed to have a cascaded public vision across the organization and kind of going division head by division head by division head and picking them off. <clears throat> One, didn't bring the full force of the company with you. And two, <clears throat> they hadn't thought through everything as, as an entity. And, and ultimately, they did two things. Uh, they provided 10-year forward contracts on biodiesel for the trucks because the small trucker, company was worried about purchasing biodiesel. But more importantly, um, he tells a story of going to the customer's customer. So they were doing local trucking and mid-sized trucks to the local hardware store or the local retailer, or local shoe store. And they went to those global manufacturers and said, hey, do you want to send the message to your retailer that you're going to have a greener footprint of your supply chain if you use these trucks? And those national manufacturers did do that, and the truck took off, and now Scania is the leading uh, EV truck manufacturer and, and alternative manufacturer. But these lessons learned are things we can learn from people like um, Henrik. Great. So that's an example of how business can develop this, this vision. Now, businesses work within um, 
a, a legislative environment. Are governments doing enough? Are they actually helping or are they hindering? Do we need more government regulations? Do we need coercion? Or what's the situation from that point of view? So as you would know, it varies dramatically from country to country. So Germany being very far ahead, most of the Scandinavian countries being farther ahead than that, the United States being relatively farther behind than all of them. Uh, this, The Inflation Reduction Act or IRA, which was just passed, if you look in Atlantic magazine yesterday that just came out, their prediction is this, like digitization, will create enormous numbers of jobs uh, and industries because of the government incentives <clears throat> around sustainability. And so I think that one of the one of the opportunities and challenges is there's, a, there's an old expression that if you want to run fast, you run alone. If you run or run far, you run together. And these where I think the most success has been in ecosystems of multiple companies working together with governments in partnerships, uh, because we need the private sector's balance sheets to move these things forward. But um whether it's increased regulation or or faster uh, approvals in regulated environments to spur and also tax incentives. And the IRA bill, uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, is providing incentives for sustainable businesses. And I think that's what, and tax credits. And I think that's where you're going to have probably the most success from governments, not more regulation, but tax incentives and public-private partnerships. Right. Now, recently in the news, we saw, um, we heard about Patagonia, the outdoor material, outdoor clothing company, uh, a big company, multi-billion company, and the owner decided to give it to his employees. Now, that company is um, a role model for sustainability. Do you see the, the ownership model of companies changing, uh, uh, influenced by sustainability, or, or do you think that was a one-off? Mm, so I think it's probably a one-off of that scale, okay? But bear in mind in Denmark, one of the one of the great stable factors of business in Denmark is most of the great companies are controlled by trusts set up 200 years ago that um, assure the long-term governance of those companies. And so with Patagonia, um, you have something somewhat similar. It's a little more complicated than that. Um, I do think you'll see startups. Um, we tell the, the uh, story of a, a company called a Hair Story in America, which is, uh, no, who knew that um, the chemicals that come out of shampoo and conditioner every morning down the drains of the world are some of the dirtiest chemicals in the world. It's like, uh, it's like fuel. And those plastic bottles, to be approved, aren't recyclable, typically. All those millions of plastic bottles. Hair Story is a startup uh, owned by a family that's setting it up for the long term. And they refill your pouch, uh, which is fully recyclable, uh, with clean shampoo and, and conditioner. In fact, you, you only have to wash your hair, apparently, um, like twice a week instead of more than that. So I think there are also new models coming out that might emulate more sustainable ownership models like Patagonia did. Do I think a multi-billion dollar company will put that in trust like that? that pretty, it's very complicated to do. <clears throat> you may have seen that they have vote, voting rights, that their 5% ownership that they retained <clears throat> gives them majority voting rights for the governance of the company, which hasn't quite been picked up in the footnotes yet. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. 
we're constantly told that time is short and that time is getting shorter. And we see acts of vandalism like the Ukraine war, which seems to be in another world and with no comprehension of the fact that we've got a climate crisis. And we see the oil majors who are investing in thousands of miles of new pipelines to deliver products which will increase atmospheric emissions. Now, in the face of all this, with these people working against the um, measures to try and combat the uh, climate crisis, are you confident that we can win this battle? I think we have to move unbelievably quickly to win this battle. So um, Sven Hulsepler, who is the CEO of Yara, the largest fertilizer business in the world, fertilizer being arguably one of the dirtiest businesses in the world. And he he and the company have done amazing things uh, to produce, uh, to reduce ammonia, reduce methane, and they're actually producing clean fuel with their emissions um, to fuel clean ships, which Mayersk is building. So again, this ecosystem idea. And Sven said to me, I was in his office in Oslo, and he said, Clark, we believe we have eight harvests before things are irreversible. Eight harvests. It's a very powerful phrase, eight harvests, which yeah, obviously- I'd, I'd heard 60. Eight yeah. is, well, yeah. that's scary. I've never- What was he uh, talking about? And I forget. Well, he was talking about, particularly in Africa, and where they have to have much uh, more abundant crops, but cleaner uh, ways to increase those crops. So <clears throat> I do believe there that we have to move quickly and use all the power that we can and all the partnerships that we can. The one thing I'd say, which you probably will be frustrated with me to say this, um, the fossil fuel industry, which we all understand, <clears throat> Because of the world's dependence for another 20 or 30 years on the fossil fuel industry, that's the reality. As fast as we produced EVs and, and battery storage, we are dependent uh, for a couple of decades on fossil fuels, particularly oil. So <clears throat> what I think we have to do is be focused on their profits going to renewable sources in major chunks of their profitability as opposed to saying, let's just not own any of the stocks and let's say how terrible the companies are. At the end of the day, the world is running on fossil fuels for at least two or three decades while we develop our alternatives. So let's focus on them using their profits, which several of those companies are, to really accelerate renewable energy in what we call the energy transition. And I think that's where the pressure should be put, which not everyone agrees with, uh, as opposed to being dismissive of, of their profitability or their companies overall. I think that would be a grave mistake. Yeah, that sounds like a sensible approach. Uh, I think you're probably right that uh, we are going to be develop, uh, dependent on some sort of fossil fuels for a couple of decades. I don't want to believe it. I really don't, because I think if we are dependent on fossil fuels for two more decades, then there is no hope of of uh, avoiding the tipping point of going way beyond 1.5 degrees centigrade. Right. So uh, it's it's a it's a difficult it's a it's a frightening situation, and that brings us around almost a full circle to where I started. That if you tell people this is a really scary and dangerous situation, they'll shut down. They won't want to know. So it's a question of a balance, isn't it? Let's it is. let's it is. harvest the enthusiasm of the young people you were talking about Correct. and do as much as we can. Correct. I think that I think recognizing 
the skills. And we talk about in the book, we've developed a model of the most successful sustainable leaders all share these four um, skill sets and identifying those skill sets in, in younger leaders sooner and accelerate their careers. And, and we tell the story of a young man, Hector, and a young woman, Blanca, who work in the um, the largest brewery for Heineken outside of um, Holland is in Monterrey, Mexico. And the two of them <clears throat> were very interested in circularity in terms of uh, a circular economy and ways to think about materials, supply chain, brewing, which uses a tremendous amount of water. And they entered this global competition of who had the best idea about improving sustainability at Heineken globally, which they won. <clears throat> and in the end, they're now sitting in corporate roles in Amsterdam, having left Monterey, because they had so much energy, creativity, and success around sustainability. That's the model. Reach down in and harness the energy and find people who understand complexity, who can think very long term who are very disruptive around innovation. These are the skill sets that, that companies and boards need to look for and men and CEOs to find those thousands of sustainable leaders and harness their energy to accelerate this progress. Right. Now, you mentioned four key factors, four key issues. Can you remind us what they are? Yeah. We, we, the first we call multi-level systems thinking. What is that? That's complexity around systems. So your company is already complex in its operations and supply chain. And now we're going to overlay that with environmental concerns, perhaps regulatory concerns, societal uh, opportunity and issues. So the ability to handle complexity and to, to navigate uh, opposing priorities and, and be decisive about it. So conceptual thinking and decisiveness. <clears throat> the second is stakeholder inclusion and not a stakeholder shareholder debate of, of the last couple of years, but would you include all of your biggest competitors to reach a solution for the industry overall? So in Brazil, uh, LVMH, Henkel, L'Oreal, and Natura all created an independent body around the cosmetics industry to self-judge uh, and regulate the materials the way they're extracted and produced in terms of, of, of positive uh, labor laws and, and usage, uh, and, then, and then the supply chain impacts on the environment. So an independent body created by themselves to judge themselves. So they worked with their own biggest competitors to do what was right, stakeholder inclusion. The third is disruptive innovation. We've all talked about innovation for decades. This is about <clears throat> challenging your own assumptions and to if if what you innovate doesn't succeed, Scania trucks, to re-look at the innovation around that and tap the thinking of others. So it's largely about the consensus building and tapping the the best thinking of other people and, and push that forward to something very disruptive, even beyond your own thinking as a leader. And the last is long-term activation. Again, we, we talk about thinking long-term. But if you're really successful in building <clears throat> green-fueled supertankers, the supertankers will probably hit the ocean when you're no longer in your leadership job. So can you conceive of doing the right thing where you will get no credit for it because it happens so far after you've gone? That's a, a true legacy build. That's long-term. We've found that, that over uh, 90 
of the most successful leaders around the world from India, China, Brazil, America, Scandinavia, they all dramatically shared these four skill sets. And so that's how we built a framework to determine future leaders and current leaders. Right. Well, thank you for that. So how do we round this out? How do we end this conversation? How do we face the future? We take action. I think, again, um, some of the companies we talked about um, are very large with lots of resources and they can afford to to put capital to work here. But other smaller, mid-sized companies don't believe they can. So you've got to, the first is taking action, which is you don't have to solve every problem in the world, but you can work on two or three of the issues in your own company, whether it be water usage or power or logistics or gender. hunger in your supply chain of where things happen farther down the supply chain, healthcare, et cetera. So, and I look at sustainability as the 17 sustainable development goals, just work on one or two and you're going to unleash this energy of your company. So take action, listen. Actually, what I found in these interviews, it was purely anecdotal, nothing scientific, was the aggressive listening skills of these leaders, which I think leads to them better understanding their community, their employees, their investors, their board, because they're they're more aware. It's not just listening. So make sure that they're listening. Uh, And something, last thing I call the learning quotient. All of this is happening very quickly. And we grew up in a world, uh, Anthony, you and I, the, the, the leaders were very hierarchical and they were the sage oracles at the top of the company. Well, organizations have flattened dramatically. And the best leaders are learning about sustainable solutions at the same time as is the, the mid, mid-management is in their companies. And so being able to recognize that if I learn the same time they do, I don't look stupid. I actually look smart. <laughs> and the most successful companies and leaders are those who have high LQs or high learning quotients, like a high IQ. Uh, and that's companies that are agile, adaptable, seeing opportunities, moving on them. So the listening and learning and then acting on it uh, will make great progress quickly. Don't sit on the top of the mountain and think you have to know it all because you don't, particularly around sustainability. Clark, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with the Sustainable Futures Report. Great, great, really interesting. Keep going. Do it more often. This is what we need to get messages out to help people keep moving ahead and accelerate their careers. Great. Well, we continue to put the Sustainable Futures Report out every week. Uh, Clark Murphy's new book, Sustainable Leadership, Lessons of Vision, Courage and Grit from the CEOs Who Dared to Build a Better World, is out now and published by Wiley. Clark is also presenter of the Redefiners podcast. Thanks again. Absolutely. Take care. And so we come to the end of another week and there will be another Sustainable Futures Report next week. For the last few weeks, I've shared interviews with people from a wide range of backgrounds with a wide range of ideas. I hope you find them interesting. And if you like them, please let me know. And if you'd like something else, please let me know. I get two or three interview requests a week from people all over the world, although they are mainly in the United States. I bear in mind that this is an international audience on a UK base, so I am careful to try and avoid too much of a US bias. There's no doubt that a lot of very good stuff comes from there, nevertheless.
Many of the interview requests are weird and wacky, so I tend to reject more than I accept. I hope you think I'm accepting the right ones. Anyway, next week I'm back to topical reporting, to giving you my own personal thoughts and opinions on the sustainability issues currently in the news. As always, I'm delighted to receive your thoughts, ideas and suggestions, and I know I've already got some which I haven't yet followed up, but as I've said before, I haven't forgotten. That's all for this week. It remains for me to thank you for listening. If you are, thanks for being a patron. Details at patreon.com SFR on how to help keep this podcast independent and ad-free. Whether you're a patron or not, I would really appreciate it if you could tell just one other person about the Sustainable Futures Report. Since I started in 2007, I'm sure this must be the original sustainability podcast, but I have to admit that others have overtaken it in terms of audience numbers. If you think it's worth listening to, do please tell others. And that was the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until next time. (music) 